Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast of Life Church in Perry, Georgia. Let's join Pastor Tim McLaughlin and go to the message. Praise the Lord. Hey, we're getting to the end of this Romans thing. We've been doing this since March of 2022. And uh, as I'm recording this, we're we are just uh, actually 11 days away from Christmas. and uh, But we are going to do our best to try to finish this by the end of 2022 so we can move on to something else in 2023. So today we're just going to jump right in there. We're going to get going. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1, uh, is where we're going to pick up. So if you got your Bibles, uh, let's go to Romans 14. If you don't have your Bible, Maybe you're like me, you like to listen to podcasts while you're driving down the road. I get it. Just hold on to the wheel, keep looking forward, stay in your lane, and I'll do all the reading for you, and we hope that it's a blessing to you. Uh, Let me ask the question. Have you ever argued with other Christians about whether it's okay for Christians to smoke or to drink alcohol? Have you ever had that discussion or that argument? These and many other issues have traditionally been referred to as disputable matters. I want you to to understand that term, disputable matters. These are matters that uh, different sects of Christians disagree on because Scripture does not speak decisively about them. Now, we could get into the whole alcohol thing, and I'll probably do that at some point, but we're not going to do it today. But when it comes to things like smoking, drinking alcohol, chewing tobacco, eating certain foods, watching certain movies, listening to certain music, these all become what we consider disputable matters. Some denominations and some Christians think some things are okay. Some would argue that they're not. But the the reality is we, we cannot find anything decisively, anything concrete in the Word of God about them. Issues like adultery and theft are not disputable matters because scripture is very clear about such matters things like fornication things like lying things like stealing adultery all of those things are very clear in the word of god the disputable matters to which people pay attention may change throughout history but the existence of such matters is nothing new so as we get into romans chapter 14 the apostle paul begins a discussion about the disputable matters of his time. We know that Paul wrote this in around 57 AD. He's writing it to a church that's in Rome. What's going on in Rome at this time that the people are arguing about? We do not know how much Paul knew about the inner workings of the church in Rome, so it's difficult to tell whether he is responding to information he had somehow gathered from the church, or if he is merely addressing issues that were what he considered generally important at the time. Regardless, the Apostle Paul obviously thought these issues were worth the discussion. Romans 14, 1 through 15, 13 deal with the important principles to guide God's people in dealing with these disputable matters. These are the things that cause conflict among believers, but such conflict is quite unnecessary, as we will see. Romans 14.1 says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not 
to disputes over doubtful things. A weaker Christian is one who has unfounded scruples over disputable matter. In, in the context, they were often a converted Jew who still had issues about eating non-kosher foods or working on Saturdays. The first principle that we're going to look at is what uh, is, is a weaker Christian should be received into the local fellowship or the church today, but not with the idea of engaging them in disputes about their strict regard for what is considered right or proper. Uh, Christians of Paul's times, uh, as well as today, can have happy fellowship without agreeing on disputable matters. Listen, we should be able to gather together. We should be able to worship together. We should be able to come together. And listen, understand there are going to be things that we're not all going to agree upon, but we need to agree upon the fact that this is the reality, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's through the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed. It's through repentance that we are born again. And this we need to know. But some of these other things, I think so many times, and I'm just as guilty, we can make these things into uh, bigger issues than what they need to be and cause others to stumble. Romans 14.2 says, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. A believer who walks in the full enjoyment of Christian liberty has faith based on teaching of the New Testament that all foods are clean. We understand that that Peter had a vision. In this vision, there were all these animals. The sheep was let down three times. The Lord told Peter to go ahead and take and eat. Peter said, Lord, I've never eaten anything that was unclean. And the Lord told Peter, he said, he said, do not call unclean those things which I call clean. The Lord told Peter, he said, listen, it's no longer about animals. You can eat whatever you want to as long as you're not drinking the blood. We also know this according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. How many of you pray over your meals? If you pray over your meal, if you ask the Lord to sanctify that food in Jesus name, that food becomes clean. A believer with a weak conscience may have qualms about eating things like pork or other meats. They even may be a vegetarian, according to what Paul is saying. Romans 14.3 says, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. The second principle is that there must be a mutual tolerance. The mature Christian must not despise the weaker brother or sister. Neither should the weaker brother or sister judge as a sinner someone who enjoys things like ham, shrimp, or lobster. God has received them into his family as a member in good standing. Don't judge people because of what they're eating. Judge people according to their relationship with Christ. Romans 14, 4 says, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. The third principle is that each believer is a servant of the Lord, and we have no right to sit in judgment as if we were the master. It is before our one true master that each one stands approved or disapproved. 
One may look down on someone else with uh, condescension, uh, sure that they will shipwreck their faith because of their views on certain matters, but such an attitude is wrong. God will sustain those on both sides of the question. Understand, however, this does not eliminate all judging. Speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, He told them, Judge not, and you will not be judged, because the Pharisees were trying to judge other people that they were not uh, sufficient enough. We remember Jesus telling the story about the Pharisee beating his chest and crying out to God and thanking God that he wasn't like the, the sinner sitting next to him versus the guy that was sitting next to him who had his head bowed and who was humble and was crying out to God and repenting. Don't judge because you're going to be judged by those things. But when it comes to speaking to other followers of Christ, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 20. He says, therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So as a born again believer, your fruit will let people know whether you are truly a child of God or not by the things that you say, by the things that you do, by the, by the, the way in which you love others, not necessarily by the food that you eat. Romans 14, 5 says, one person esteems the day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Some Jewish Christians still looked on the Sabbath day as an obligation. They had a conscience about doing any work on Saturday. In that sense, they esteemed one day above another. Other believers, however, did not share these Jewish scruples. They, they looked on every day alike. They did not look upon six days as secular and one day as sacred. To them, all days are sacred. My wife has a, a picture hanging uh, in our bedroom and I, I love what it says. It says, it says that um, we don't know what a day will hold, but we know who brings the day. You know, listen, God gives us each and every day. Uh, I, I was just reading yesterday and I don't know what his religious views, I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but I just know based on what I know, he was a good man. He had uh, impacted a lot of people. Coach Mike Leach, uh, died suddenly at the age of 61. He was 61 years old. That's not a whole lot older than I am. Died suddenly. It was He wasn't even sick. Listen, we have no promise for tomorrow. Each day should be con considered uh, a holy and sacred. But what about the Lord's Day? What about the first day of the week? What about Sunday? Does it not have a special place in the lives of Christians? We see in the New Testament that it was on Sunday that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was resurrected. We also see that on the next two Sundays following His resurrection that Christ met with His disciples. We also see that it was the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, which was also a Sunday. So the Lord's Day, Sunday, does stand out in the New Testament in a special way. But rather than being a day of obligation, like the Sabbath, it is a day of privilege. Released from our ordinary employment, we can set, up, set it apart in a special way for worshiping and serving the Lord. I know some people have to work on Sunday. I know some factories are open and a lot of restaurants are open on Sunday. But, but for the majority of the nation, we have off on Sundays, and it's a time to be able to go and to worship the Lord, to come to church. So we need to consider that as a privilege. Romans 14, 6. 
He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks, gives God thanks. Again, here's one of those riddles that Paul likes to write. Uh, what he's saying is the one who observes the day in this verse is the Jewish believer her, who still has a conscience about doing any work on Saturday. It's not that he looks upon the Sabbath keeping as a means of obtaining or retaining salvation. It is simply a matter of doing what he thinks will please the Lord. Likewise, a person who does not observe the day does so to honor Christ, the substance rather than the mere shadow of faith. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. One has liberty to eat non-kosher foods, bow his head, and give thanks to God. So does the other with a weaker conscience who eats only kosher food. Both ask the blessing from God upon that food, and in both cases, God is honored and thanked. So why should this be made the occasion of strife or conflict? Romans 14, 7 says, For no one, or for none, sorry, for none of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. The Lordship of Christ enters into every aspect of a believer's life. We, we don't live to ourselves, but to the Lord. I want to say that again, and I want to stress that. We don't live to ourselves, but to the Lord. We don't die to ourselves, but to the Lord. It is truly that what we do and say affects others, but that is not the thought here. Paul is emphasizing that the Lord should be the goal and the object of the lives of his people. Romans 14, 8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Everything we do in this life is subject to God's scrutiny and approval. We test things by how they appear in His presence. Even in death, we aspire to glorify the Lord as we go to be with Him in heaven, both in life and in death, we belong to Him. Romans 14.9 says, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. One of the reasons for which Christ died and rose and lived again is that He might be our Lord and that we might be His willing subjects, gladly rendering to Him the devotion of our grateful hearts. His Lordship continues even in death when our bodies lie in the grave and our spirits and souls are in His presence. Romans 14.10 says, But why do you judge your brothers? Or why do you show contempt for your brothers? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because Jesus is Lord of all, and we all will stand in His presence, it is foolishness for Jewish Christians to condemn the brother or sister who doesn't keep the Jewish calendar or who doesn't limit themselves to kosher foods. 
Likewise, it is wrong for strong believers to show contempt to the weaker. The fact is that every one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that will be the only evaluation that really counts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11-15, through 15, he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than, than that which is laid, which is Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Romans 14 verse 11 says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. The, the certainty of our appearance before the Bama seat of Christ is reinforced by a quotation from Isaiah 45.23, where God Himself makes a strong affirmation that every knee shall bow before Him and acknowledge Him as the supreme authority. Romans 14.12 says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So then it's clear that we will all give an account of ourselves, not of our brothers and sisters. I can't give an account for you. You can't give an account for me. I can only give an account for myself to God. We often judge one another too much and without the proper authority or knowledge to do so. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Instead of sitting in judgment on our fellow Christians in these matters of moral indifference, we should resolve that we will never do anything to hinder a brother or sister and their spiritual progress. None of these disputable matters is important enough for us to cause another believer to stumble or fall. Romans 14, 14 says, I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to, whom, who, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So we know that no foods are ceremonially unclean any longer. The food we eat, as mentioned earlier, is sanctified by God in prayer. It is sanctified in the sense that the Bible sets it apart as being good. It is sanctified when we ask God to bless it for His glory and for the strengthening of our bodies for His service. But if a weak brother thinks it is wrong for him to eat pork, then it's wrong. To eat it would be to violate his God-given conscience. When Paul says here that there is nothing unclean of itself, we must realize that he is speaking only of these disputable matters. Obviously, there are plenty of things in life that are unclean, such as pornographic material, filthy jokes, dirty movies, and every form of immorality. But Paul's statement must be understood in the light of the context. Christians do not contract ceremonial defilement by eating foods which the law of Moses branded unclean. 
Romans 14, 15 says, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. <laughs> when you sit down to eat with a weaker believer, should you insist on your legitimate right to eat crab legs or lobster, even if you do know that they think it's wrong? If you do, you're not acting in love because love thinks of others, not self. If you smoke and you know a person thinks smoking's wrong and you light up in front of them because you don't think there's a problem with it, that is wrong and that is not walking in love. If you like to watch PG-13 or rated R movies and you have some people over that don't like to watch those movies and you try to mock them for not liking those movies, that is not acting in love. Love forgoes its legitimate right in order to promote the welfare of another. A dish of food isn't as important as the spiritual well-being of one for whom Christ died. And yet, if we selfishly parade our rights in these matters, we can do irreparable damage in the life of the weaker person. It isn't worth it when you remember that their soul and our soul was redeemed at such a towering cost, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 16 says, Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. The principle here is that we should not allow these disputable matters which are perfectly permissible in themselves to give occasion to others to condemn us of our lovelessness. It would be like sacrificing our good name for a mess of pork and beans. It's just not worth it. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, what really counts in the kingdom of God is not dietary regulations, but spiritual realities. The kingdom of God is the sphere where God is acknowledged as the supreme ruler. It is the widest sense. It includes all who even profess allegiance to God. But in its inward reality, it includes only those who are born again. The subjects of the kingdom are not intended to be food fads, but they should be characterized by the lives of practical righteousness, by lives of peace and harmony, and by a mindset of joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 18 says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. It isn't what a man eats or doesn't eat that matters. It is a holy life that wins God's honor and man's approval. Those who put the emphasis on righteousness, peace, and joy serve Christ by obeying His teachings. Romans 14, 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue things which make for peace and the things which may, one may edify another. Another principle right here emerges. <clears throat> Instead of bickering over disputable matters, we should make every effort to maintain peace and harmony in the Christian fellowship. Instead of stumbling others by insisting on our rights, we should strive to build up others in their most holy faith. Romans 14.20 says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. See, God is doing a work in the life of each one of us. It is frightening to think of hindering that work in the life of a weaker person over such disputable matters as food 
or certain days of the week. For the child of God, all foods are now clean, but it would be wrong for him to eat any specific food if in doing so he could offend a brother or cause him to stumble in his Christian walk. Romans 14.21 says, It is good neither to eat meat nor to drink wine nor to do anything which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. It is a thousand times better to refrain from meat or anything else than to offend a brother or sister in Christ or to cause them to decline spiritually. Giving up our legitimate right is a small price to pay for the care and salvation of one who is weaker. Romans 14.22 says, Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. It is great to walk in complete liberty and to partake of every kind of food, knowing that God gave it to us and we receive it with thanksgiving. But that should not be needlessly flaunted before those who are, are weaker or for those who believe other ways. It is better to exercise that liberty in private when no one else could possibly be offended. It is good to walk in the full enjoyment of one's Christian liberty, not being shackled by unwarded scruples, but it is better to let go of one's legitimate rights than to be condemned for offending another. One who avoids stumbling uh, others is, is a happy person. You know, listen, you may have never had a problem with certain foods, but there could be people that have struggled with diabetes. They could have struggled with their weight. They could have struggled with heart disease and they are eating certain foods for a reason. And because you choose to keep pushing that and eating it in front of them and offering it to them, you can be a stumbling to that person and you'll have to answer for that before God. Romans fourteen twenty three, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. See, as far as the weaker believer is concerned, it is wrong for them to eat anything about which they have a bad conscience. Their eating is not an act of faith. That is, they have a bad conscience about it. And it is sin to violate another's conscience. It's true that a person's conscience is not an infallible guide, it must be educated by the Word of God. But the Apostle Paul also encourages that a person should follow their conscience even though it is weak. Otherwise, their morality will be destroyed. Romans 15.1 We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Again, I remind everybody that this was a letter, not a book. So chapter and verse was added later and, and it can sometimes be confusing. So as we move into Romans 15, 1 through 13, we continue with the same thought of dealing with matters of moral indifference. Uh, tensions had risen between the converts from Judaism and those from paganism. So the Apostle Paul here pleads for harmony between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. Those who are strong, that is, with full liberty regarding things that are morally indifferent, are not to please themselves by selfishly asserting their rights. Rather, they should treat their weaker brothers and sisters, when I say weaker, I'm talking about in faith and maybe the Word of God, with a kindness and consideration, making full allowance for their excessive scruples. 
Romans 15.2 says, Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. Here the principle is this. Don't live to please self. Live to please your neighbor, to do them good, to build them up. This is the Christian approach. Romans 15.3 says, For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ has given us the example. He lived to please his Father, not himself. And he quotes here Psalm 69.9. This means that Jesus and Paul were so completely taken up with God's honor that when men insulted God, they took it as a personal insult to themselves. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. This quotation from Psalms reminds us that the Old Testament Scriptures are written for our learning. While they are not written directly to us, they contain invaluable lessons for us. As we encounter problems, conflicts, tribulations, and troubles, the Scriptures teach us to be steadfast, and they are to impart comfort to us. Thus, instead of seeking under the waves, uh, we are sustained by the hope that the Lord will see us through. Romans 15.5 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant, to, grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. This consideration leads Paul to express the wish that God who gives steadfastness and comfort will enable the strong and the weak, the Gentile and the Jewish Christian, to live in harmony according to the teaching and example of Christ Jesus. Romans 15.6 says that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The result will be that the saints will be united in worship of the one true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great picture that is to see saved Jews and saved Gentiles worshiping the Lord together in one mind and in one accord. Romans 15.7 says, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Another principle emerges here from all of this. Uh, despite any difference that might exist concerning disputable matters, we should receive one another just as Christ also received us. Here's the true basis for reception in the local church. We do not receive on the basis of denomination affiliation, spiritual maturity, or social status. However, we should receive those whom Christ has received in order to promote the glory of God. Romans 15.8 15, 8 says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Here in the next six verses, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the ministry of Jesus Christ includes Jews and Gentiles, and the implication is that our hearts should be also be big enough to include both. Uh, certainly, Jesus came to serve the circumcision, that is, the Jewish people, 
God had repeatedly promised that he would send the Messiah to Israel and Christ's coming confirmed the truth of those promises. Romans 15 verses 9 through 12 says this, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess you, to, confess you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he sh who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Christ brings blessings to the Gentiles also. God purposed that the nation should hear the gospel, and that those people who believe should glorify God for his great mercy. This should not come as a surprise to Jewish believers because it is so frequently foretold of in the scriptures that Paul quoted in Psalm 1849, Deuteronomy 32:43, Psalm 117:1 and Isaiah 11:1 1 and verse 10. Romans 15:13 says, "Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace." in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul closes this section with a gracious benediction, praying that the God who gives good hope through grace will fill the saints with all joy and peace as they believe on Him. Perhaps Paul is thinking especially of Gentile believers here, but the prayer is suitable for all mankind. And it is true that those who abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit have no time to quarrel over disputable matters. Our common hope, whether Jew or Gentile, is a powerful unifying force in the Christian life. Let us be unified and be an encouragement to all brothers and sisters from all walks of life. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for every promise in Your Word that is yes and amen for the glory of God. I thank You for those that listen to these podcasts. I pray that they're an encouragement to them, that in them they find some hope, some strength, and some faith. Lord, go with them. Keep them safe and protected. This holiday season, may we always remember the reason for the season. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast of Life Church. If you are looking for a home church, please visit us at 100 Todd Road in Perry, Georgia. Or check out our website at lifechurchga.com.